1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue.
0: Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have a treat that I have been waiting for for a long time. I remember in the summer, I put it out there that I wanted to interview Paul Selig, who is joining me today, and I didn't know how I was gonna make that happen. And how it happened was, I um, got connected with Paul's agent, and on a different book and we started talking and she said that she represented Paul as well and I was like I would love to have him on so today I have on Paul Selig he Paul was born in New York City and attended New York University he received his master's degree from Yale but a spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant Paul is considered one of the foremost contributors in the field of channeled literature working today. He has channeled numerous books, including Beyond the Known, Realization, Alchemy, and the Mastery Trilogy, published by Tarcher, Penguin, and St. Martin Press. He offers channeled workshops internationally and serves on the faculty at Eslan Institute. Also a noted playwright and educator, Paul served on the faculty of NYU for 25 years and directed the MFA in creative writing programs at Goddard College. So, and his book, The Kingdom, is the last of the Mastery Trilogy, correct? hmm Okay, welcome, Paul.
3: Mm-hmm. Thanks, nice to be here. I think that the Kingdom is the last of the Beyond the Known Trilogy, the Mastery Trilogy. Okay. Was- trilogy even before that there's okay because you know,
2: uh-huh. the mastery is one of these three or the mastery, mastery. trilogy
3: there's the the book of mastery is the right. first book in the mastery trilogy okay. and this is part of the beyond the known trilogy which was the trilogy that came after that
2: okay okay because i listened to the mastery uh-huh. book of mastery as well so uh-huh. um, Hi, everybody. I just wanted to thank those of you who are supporting the show via Patreon. I literally could not do this without you. It means so much to me to have any sort of support for the show. But really, the financial support is super helpful to me right now. I'm an independent podcaster. This is all being funded by me. So anything you can do to help that, if you love listening to the show, if you love the content I'm creating, if you love the guests that I'm having on, please support the show. I have amazing, amazing guests continuing to come on the show. I'm so excited. I've grown the most month over month in the past three months. And that is because of all of you sharing the podcast, telling people about it. So thank you so much. Uh, We had our second quarterly Ask Amy Anything in March. So that was for Patreon supporters only. And the topics were really heavy this time, but wonderful and necessary to talk about. And we talked about everything that's going on in the world, both from a spiritual and psychological perspective. And together we tried to make meaning of all of this. So our next Ask Amy Anything will be in June. So if you are not a supporter of the show, you can go to patreon.com backslash Dr. Amy Robbins and support me and the show. And again, it helps so, so much. And if you could also take just a minute to share the show with your friends and family and anybody you think would love it, you can do that anywhere you get your podcast, just click on share this link or copy this link uh, and send it to, I don't know, three, four, five, ten 10 people who you think would love the show. So you can also follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. You can watch me on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And you can sign up for my newsletter on my website. Again, all of these things are great ways to help. You can also rate and review the podcast. Anything you can do to support the show, I am so, so grateful. The growth I know is going to help me in some way. I'm not exactly sure how yet, but I know it will. And uh, thank you all for listening. And here's this week's episode. Um, so so tell me about, let's start with the spirit, spiritual experience that left you um, woke, for lack of a better term.
3: It didn't leave me woke. It left me confused. Um, you know, I was raised I was sort of an atheist um, in New York City. I had a rock and roll youth, Um, when I was 25, um, I began to look for something more out of sheer necessity, not because I thought it would be nice to get spiritual. Um, And I ended up quitting drinking and finding myself on a spiritual path that I had not anticipated. And there was this thing happening in 1987, which is when I was 25 years old, that people were saying, Was going to wake people up i heard it was the harmonic convergence and people were going to wake up and i thought well if there is a god or something like a god and i was starting to think maybe there was um and you asked to be woken up why would it want to say no so i went up to the roof of my building and i asked and tried to teach myself how to meditate um and somebody had given me a a mantra and somebody gave me a crystal and i thought you needed all the props to wake up but i I ended up having experience of energy moving through my body that's the only way i can describe it for all i know i was hyperventilating i don't know what happened up there but it's people later said it sounded like a spontaneous kundalini awakening i may never know you know it doesn't really even matter to me anymore
2: mm-hmm.
3: but um but it was quite palpable and quite physical and then i started seeing little lights around people you know shortly thereafter and so you know, I was opening up and I didn't really know what to make of it. And that was the beginning of a passage that has gone on for, you know, over 30, 35 years now. Um, I'm now 60. So it's been some time. And my ability developed over the years. I didn't open up a box and suddenly I was a full blown channeler. You know, I didn't even believe in channeling and I, I still have some resistance to what what some of what's out there that may be called channeling um and I may never understand how it works truthfully um but that was the beginning and it was important to me given my background because I wasn't I wasn't an easy sell you know I was a bit of a skeptic and I think I needed something that was sort of so so tangible to give me some some ballast some support on the journey that I was clearly heading on without even quite understanding what was happening to me.
2: So at what point did you, I mean, you said you had this Kundalini awakening, you started opening up. At what point did you know that you could channel and, and, and can you talk a little bit about how you define channeling versus Mm -hmm. how other people might define channeling?
3: Well, I think channel the way I talk about channeling is straight dictation which is different than sort of being inspired or getting impressions. And I think all of that stuff's really valuable. I do that stuff too, but it's not what I call channeling. Channeling for me is taking dictation. I feel like I'm a court stenographer and I'm sitting there taking it word for word, repeating everything that I hear. And the books that come through me are those transcriptions. When I'm reading for somebody psychically and I say, wow, I'm seeing you, you know, at a beach house, um, you know, and there's a, you know, a big starfish over the front door, I'm reading and I'm getting impressions. That's psychic. It's not channeling. If my guides come in and say, tell the young person to stop telling herself she can't have what she want, I'm back to channeling. But everything around that may not be. It may be my psychic work. The difference is when I'm working psychically, there's interpretation. Um, you can have an inspired piece of writing that's really high spiritual stuff and you can edit your inspired writing but I don't edit the channelings that come through me because they're not my writing you know I'm literally just the radio that it's being broadcast through
1: Mm -hmm. that's my
3: role and I accept my role and I don't downplay my role I think I'm integral to whatever is happening but you know, my job is to show up and hope that I'm hearing clearly. That's my job. And it's my guide's job to dictate what they want to come through. So that's, so that's that piece. So when did I start channeling? I, I started hearing in fragments and initially, and I didn't call it channeling. um, I studied a form of energy healing Um, It was the early 90s. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic. Everybody I know was dead or dying. And um, I ended up volunteering at a little center that had been pop-up, Alternative Healing Center um, in lower Manhattan. Somebody asked me after I studied if I would volunteer, and I figured I'd better say yes, so I did. And when I had my hands on people's bodies, I started to hear things for them. So, if I had my hand on your chest and I heard the name Agnes, and I don't know an Agnes, and I say, Who's Agnes? And you go, Oh my God, that was my aunt who beat the crap out of me. Or, Oh my God, that was my first grade teacher, Mrs. Agnes, whatever. And as I would get conf- confirmation from the people that I was working with, because all this energy would move once we nailed the issue and that would come to me um, I began to trust it more. And then I had a little group that met in my apartment. And I was just planning on doing energy work and the stuff that I had been taught. And the very first session I began to hear things for the group. Um, and as I began doing that and became consistent for showing up, I had a group that met in my apartment for eight, about 18 years, sometimes three people, sometimes 10 people, people would put 10 bucks in a basket. I was not looking to be known for this or make a living from it. I was a college teacher and I liked that work and, I was comfortable in my life. When I quit smoking, which was only in 2008, and I've been a very heavy smoker, the guides began lecturing through me. And basically, I just took the stopper off of the drain, all the dirty water, all that mucky Fuck. energy just yeah. cleared out. And all of a sudden, I was far more available and receptive. But I knew that I could be. Everything really changed then. And the books started coming shortly thereafter and haven't stopped. There's now 10 books in about 11, 12 years. You know, it's a lot. And they've been working fast.
2: So when you, you talk about they or your guides, yeah, uh, what are you referring to? Is it a collective? Is yeah. it, do you know what dimension they're from? They don't talk about
3: dimensions. I mean, they say Christ consciousness is at least that's the level that we meet at because that's the, the place where we can meet. For this to happen.
2: So what does um, that mean? And are you a religious person, or were no, you before? Not at all. No, okay.
3: no, no. My father was a German Jew, and you know a good chunk of my family was exterminated, you know, in World War II. And my mother, you know, God bless her, she's still with it. She had been religious when she was young, and I didn't find out till a few years ago that she, you know, had a very bad experience with a minister and became an atheist herself at eighteen. Mm. So, you know, I was raised really believing that religion was for stupid people. Um, That was just what I thought. And I had a weird year in a parochial school, and I was only sent there because it was affordable. And, you know, and that was it. And I thought that was interesting. I liked the nuns. They were kind of trippy. But I didn't take anything (laughs) from it spiritually. So I was pretty much an open. I didn't have a lot of baggage. The guides, the only reason the guides are called the guides is because an ex of mine, when he found out that I could do this, this is back when I was in my 40s, used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. Suddenly, you know, they, that's why they call the guides, that guides could care less. They come as a collective, they're teachers. The, the name that they've given themselves or announced themselves as when asked is the name melchizedek which is an old name the high name it's a priesthood um and i'm less comfortable with names than you might think i think there's a challenge in spiritual circles and new age circles where people say well my guide is hired It's all this crap it's spiritual materialism finally it's the quality and the truth of the information i think that's being received Mm. you know i've heard about people saying they're channeling you know the divine mother and spewing bile about people and i can't imagine that that's a high teaching so you know people can say what they want finally i think it's the truth of the message that needs to be really honored mm-hmm. and you can tell usually i think when, mm-hmm. when you hear you know anybody that's teaching fear or, you know supporting separation is probably not working with something very high they may be tuned into something you know but mm-hmm. you know like i said you know my grandma's been dead a while she was married about four times she's probably not who i want to go to for relationship information on the other side although she may want to be give me her advice. It's probably not going to be what I want to listen to.
2: Maybe she's got a new perspective on it all.
3: She may, you know, <laughs> it's very possible, but you know, I'd rather go to the higher if I can.
2: So this Christ consciousness, can you describe what that is? Cause I was reading through your book again, last night, mm-hmm. really trying to pay attention to my body mm-hmm. um, and how I was feeling. And it, uh-huh. did, I don't know if I was making this up in my head, But it did feel like there was like a tingling that I was experiencing as I was rereading through it. And again, maybe it was because I was just more aware of of that at this time. Mm -hmm. Um,
3: The guy said in the very first book, which was called I Am the Word, which was published in 2010 and channeled in 2009, they said the books are energetic transmissions that work directly on the reader. They say these are books that are experienced more so than read. They say the words on the page provide an intellectual construct to comprehend what's delivered to you, but that the real book is the energy that is transmitted to the reader through the experience of it. The guides are working with their students, and, the re- and you know, and they said this in the first book, and you know, nobody knew who I was at the first, you know, there was no publicist. there was no nothing. I assumed nobody would read it. And the reviews started coming in on Amazon after the first book and people started writing in and saying, I'm reading this book and my body is tingling. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. You know, all that's, this has always been phenomena attached to the books. And I like that. And when I work publicly, you know, either it's in a live stream situation or now that I'm back to doing live events, you know, the guides come through and they bring the energy through and everybody feels it. And it's a tingling. Sometimes it's like, you know, a wave of energy filling the room up it's quite quite wonderful mm-hmm. so i don't think that you're wrong um, that's how they work and um i feel it when i'm channeling christ consciousness i just think it's a level of of, of tone it's a level of vibration the God's definition of christ is the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form. They also call it the monad, the eternal self, or the true self. It's the, 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 the fire in the heart that seeks to illumine the whole being and the, and the inclusive of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So it's a level of alignment. The guides say, the guides talk about, they call it the upper room, and they say it's the level of consciousness. This is the octave above the octave that we know ourselves through. They say we, you and I, everybody, is operating in a shared field of experience. And they, call, they say it's comprised of tone, sound and vibration. And that the octave above the one we know is what they're seeking to bring us to. And that's that level of consciousness and vibration. And they say fear doesn't exist at that level of tone. It just doesn't. It's just fears a low vibration. We're enmeshed with it here. It's what we've grown up with and what we expect. But that's not necessarily the case when you move to the higher level of strata of tone and vibration.
2: So why do you think or do you have a sense from them why you? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
3: I mean, I have uh, this, there's there's like three different versions of this. When I was in my early 30s, I had a couple of experiences that left me kind of knowing that there was more, really knowing it was an experience of consciousness, Christ consciousness, for lack of a better word, that I couldn't believe. And they were brief. I think one of them lasted three days, but it came at a time when I was very, I had been very unhappy and I was terribly poor. And I remember having about 45 cents to my name. And this is living in New York City, which is not an easy place to be that poor in. No. Um, And walking around knowing that I was exactly where I was supposed to be and knowing that everybody else was too. And that came after a period of tremendous pain. And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, it was gone. And there was this peace that was astonishing and I never forgot it. And so years later, I was studying with this teacher of healing who's no longer with us. Um, And... She said to everybody in the class, okay, everybody, I'm going to give you a prayer. Write this one down. You're going to get it. Be very, very careful how you phrase it because, you know. And at the time, I just wanted to go all the way with whatever this stuff was. And that's what I basically asked for. And sometimes I think the books are the request, the answer to those requests. It's a system of, of, of evolution, so at that level, I think I kind of asked for it. On another level, I think I've probably been doing this for a while. I mean, other lives, and, you know, this isn't, like, the first time. And I have some memory of that, mm-hmm. um, and some information about it. Um, and when I was a kid, when I was about five, maybe, no more than six, but I think four or five, I had only one big spiritual experience as a child. It was not a body experience of a being hovering over the bed. And I was floating on the ceiling looking down. And I was being taught. And I remember reporting to my mother about it. And, you know, I think I called it an angel or something, although we didn't believe in those things. But in some ways, I think that, you know, I showed up for this. And when I look back on my life, in some ways you know, I was being prepared for this work without really understanding that I was. That's all, you know.
1: But I don't,
3: the why me, I think I have capacity. And some of this is my energetic system, which seems to be highly developed. I'm a really, really good clairsentient. I can step into other people, begin to resemble them, you know. And it's very physical for me to to do this kind of work. When I'm channeling, it's also... You know, physical, but you know, I'm not six foot five. If I was six foot five, maybe I would have been a basketball player. You know, if I was really graceful, maybe I would have been a dancer. If I was really loved in numbers, maybe I would have been an accountant. You know, I mean, this is right for who I am and how I'm built up. And I think we're all unique and different and wonderful. And I don't think that what I do is necessarily better than what the accountant is doing. It's just a different way of being worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all here to be expressed in our highest way, whatever that might be.
2: So do you feel like um, when you say you feel like you, were, you have been sort of preparing for this, That mm-hmm. this is over many lifetimes of preparing for this, not just this current lifetime?
3: I think there were other lifetimes, yes, and only because I've got some, you know, some evidence of history that I can I can point to. Um, you know, I mean, I'll just I'll do, do a quick version of the story. When I was in my early 30s, I was summoned on jury duty and I was very proud. I'd never done it before. I was to do my civic duty. And I went into the courtroom and I was a train wreck. And I was a mess. And I kept saying, why am I? I'm not on trial. What the hell is going on here? I just wanted to get home. And I was meditating a lot in those days or was really doing energy work a lot, which was a form of meditation. And I began hearing a name, you know, and um, finally I heard, look it up. And this was Mm pre-internet. So I just found an occult encyclopedia and I looked up the name and it was some teacher, writer who was, you know. Uh, On trial before the Inquisition, you know, um, for his teachings, you know, back during the Renaissance in Florence. And um, I also had dreams at that time about this guy with a red beanie and he was kind of kind of Nelly and a big frilly collar and was very dramatic. And this monk with this great big nose and this hood being arrested And it was a martyrdom dream. It was very dramatic. And I I wrote the dream down. I don't think I ever forgot it. But years later, when I had the internet, I decided to look up that the name that I had been given. And I found a Wikipedia page. And there he was. And there was the monk with the big nose. And they actually had been um, colleagues, friends in Florence. And the monk had a terrible a terrible death in the town square of Florence. And the one that I believe that I was, I think he got murdered, you know, or poisoned or something. So anyway, that, but when the funny thing was, I ordered the book that that guy wrote that he went on trial for. And it really was about the universality of all religions. And he was a mystic. They were all mystics mm-hmm. or trying. So I think that's maybe the genealogy of some of this stuff. But I don't even know that it matters, you know, when I look at my life this lifetime, um, I think I was being prepared in other ways, you know, my years in the classroom, when I was a young writer, and trying to write plays, it was all about hearing voices, you know, I just didn't know that the voices would make sense, or that I could tune into your aunt, and hear your aunt, which is what I do in my my practice as a psychic, that's all.
2: So. Probably not surprising that you said aunt here Mm -hmm. Um, because that's my aunt is one of the people that has led me to this work that I'm doing from Mm -hmm. the other side. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that is not just a random choice word of
0: yours.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, When you channel, when I've watched you channel, when I've seen you channel, there's almost a playfulness at times that your guides have with you Mm -hmm. in terms of what you are, um, willing to take in what you are Mm -hmm. listening to and not listening to what they're sort of telling you needs to happen and what you're unwilling to do. So can you speak a bit about that? Um, when you ask questions and they're sort of like, yeah, no, I'm not answering that. Um, what is that like? It's,
3: you know, when I'm Before I channel, I tend to work with this protection prayer. It's rather long, and I'm sometimes imagining myself climbing into the backseat of a car when that's happening or removing myself, receding in consciousness. And while the guides are talking, my job is to keep up with the dictation, which requires a kind of focus. But at the same time, the less I'm listening to what they're saying, trying to understand it, the better I am. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm pushing, if I'm in there too much, I'll get in the way. And I've been known to get in the way. And that's not how I want to work. But if they say something that I find confusing or alarming, like the moon is made of green cheese, I'm going to pick my head up from the back seat and say, hey, wait a minute, I don't understand what you're talking about. And they'll say Paul has a question. Mm-hmm. And so they'll, they'll often take the questions and in the books, the questions are there. In the very first book, there wasn't a system yet, and there's a line in the very first book that people got confused by and still do perhaps in this book, I Am the Word, and the guide said, this is not a book that's been written before, this is not a course in miracles, and the only reason they say that is the guide said, This is not a book that's been written before. And me in the backseat said, Well, what about A Course in Miracles? And they said, This is not A Course in Miracles. It was in response to my query. Um, It was not a diss of the Course. It's just, you know, I'm not a student of it, but that's why that was brought up. And now the the text would say, the guides would say, Paul is interrupting. Or there'd be a footnote, Paul asked. And then they, got, they would explain it. So the interruptions are now part of the text, if they're there. And often they They say, you know, Paul has a question. We're not going to take it. We'll take it later. And I actually like that because it reminds me that they're in charge of this whole thing. But, you know, I have a weird um, experience. There's all these books out with my name on the cover that I didn't write. And I don't want to be party to anything that would be harmful or confusing, you know, to people. And so when I pipe in, I expect in some ways that I'm serving as a surrogate for the reader who may be questioning as well. But they're always my questions. What they've done, which is interesting, in the last few books, they've learned to um, anticipate my questions Mm. And um they'll they'll try to answer it without the interruptions, or once in a while they'll say, Paul has a question. I'm thinking, I was just about to form one, then they'll 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 create the question that I was thinking towards and answer it, which I think keeps their dictation going the way they want to. There was one book, it's the book of it was the book of knowing and worth, um, where there was an interruption and I got really panicked and um, and upset because the rule was, we don't get to go back and change anything. And the guide said, well, we're gonna continue talking and we'll decide after the fact if this is gonna stay in the text or not. And they addressed my fear for, for much of that chapter. And then they said, and this is in the text. So now it's in the text. So my, the personal teaching to Paul wound up there, um, which is okay. But I do think that what ended up happening was that the book got somewhat restructured as a result of that. And I don't know that they want that to happen. So it's their book. I'm just going to stay out of the way as best I can. And if I interrupt, it's because there's a reason.
2: Mm -hmm. And do you access them, I'm assuming, beyond just channeling? Like, are there different kind of ways you are in relation to these guides? Like, yeah. Are you ever just kind of like chatting with them just to chat versus letting the information come through? They're teachers.
3: They come to teach. They come prepared to teach. I don't think these are the guides to tell me. I don't I mean, I don't get great advice. on. I don't get much advice on my personal life. I do get very good instruction about not making choices based in fear. Mm -hmm. So the instruction that I get from them tends to be of the moment and of the day. Once in a while, they'll tell me in advance that something's going to happen. And usually like the day before so that I'm not, you know, so that I'm prepared. Right. That I'm not, yeah, I'm not, you know, overly anticipating something. But, um, you know, I mean, they're they here for the work, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I, I, I think of them so much as my personal guides, you know, um, I think that they have an investment in my well-being and my happiness, but I also know that they honor free will. And if I want to walk into traffic, I can. If I want to stop on the curb and say, is this a good time to cross? They may say, not wise. Mm. So if you want to cross and get hit by a truck, you can. Right. It's the wisest thing you can choose. Right. So I'll get taught that way.
2: And, and what did they say, or what do you believe, or... You know, what are you co-creating here that is the goal in terms of humanity right now?
3: I don't know that there's a, I don't, I don't think that way. I don't think that way. If somebody's at all, if somebody were to say to me, where do you expect to be in five years? I would say, how the fuck do I know? I have no <laughs> idea. You know, I didn't expect to be where I am today.
2: Which by I, the I, way is, is in a beautiful.
3: I know, but place. I wouldn't have chosen it myself. Mm-hmm. I'm so lucky, and I know that. I feel so gifted. But I was, you know, a a staunch New Yorker, even though I wasn't terribly happy there the last number of years. And when I stopped teaching at NYU, I didn't really have a reason to be there anymore. Um, I was traveling all the time with my work. So, I, I think, their teaching has always been about the realization of the divine self, the manifestation of the divine in form as who and what we truly are. And it's not the first time this has been taught. This is, this is They say they've been teaching this for a long, 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 long time in different ways, in different forms.
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Through other channelers or through other beings that are more like a christ or you know yeah
3: pretty like much a, i don't know about other channelers they don't talk about that um they say that their teaching the teaching that they're bringing forth comes through in different forms and in different cultures in ways that can be heard you know i know extraordinarily a little about you know hinduism but i have students of the guides work that are hindus and this makes perfect sense to them given their, you know, the, the schemata and how things are structured. I don't know the difference between an Atman and a Abyss. I'm learning some because I'm on Maui and, you know, there's a Hanuman community that I, I'm connecting to now. But it's not what I come from. But they say, yeah, they've taught, they've, they've been teaching this a long time. And some of the teachings of, of mastery have been their teachings coming through other mystics or teachers you know throughout time Mm -hmm. um that's how i understand it but that's not where i hang out you know i'm just trying to keep up with the the dictation about what's next and what what our job is and what they want to bring through you know they're preparing i suspect i hope for the next book because it's due in september i don't have a title i don't have any idea of what the next one's going to be i just assume they're going to be ready and when they start, they're going to dictate the prologue or the introduction and say, and this is the new book and it's called such and such. And then they'll be off and running for the next two months because that's about how many weeks of sessions are needed to, for me, just to do the sittings for a book.
2: Are you so. exhausted by it on a physical yeah. level?
3: I am actually yeah. tired now. And... Um, you know, the book, the book dictations take a lot, live events more so. And even when I do a two-hour-a-day intensive, I'm, I'm it, it, you know, it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's a very physical experience for me. Mm-hmm. And the books, um, you know, they, the energy that's coming through is intense. And the level of focus is intense. And, you know, all of the books are now done live. So the last maybe five books, I think, maybe more, were all dictated in front of audiences, you know. And if I have to, during COVID, I had to convene a group, you know, online, a Zoom group, to, to take the dictation. And some of it was done in public seminars online. Now I'm going back to live events. So I'm assuming that will happen again as well. So, you know, but it's, it's worth it. I mean, I, when I had been a writer in my youth, I had the worst writer's block of anybody I've ever known in my life. It was terribly humiliating source of great pain. And now, I mean, the first book took two and a half weeks. I sat down, closed my eyes and they dictated the whole thing took longer to type than it did to to dictate.
2: And they hook me up.
3: Can they, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm still surprised. The irony of it's not lost on me. Um, And that book was done two, two and a half hour sittings every day. And now I can mostly make it to 40 minutes in a sitting for for channeling. Just, and and that's, that's seven to nine to 10 pages Hmm. of text, you know, usually. But when I'm doing a retreat and um, they have the opportunity and a, a set group of students, they may deliver three lectures over the course of the day. I think if I do like five days at the Eslin Institute, they would deliver 80 pages or so of material over those retreats. And it's great and gets done, you know, and you can go have a nice meal. and
2: Well, know, and, to, and for you to channel, it's a really fascinating experience because you're, it's almost like doublespeak. It is. Right. You're, you're channeling twice.
3: Well, I'm, the whisper is the transmission and the repetition is for the listener and it's in the same voice as the whisper. So it's kind of like it's cycling through. So, I mean, I used to describe it as like reading fortune cookies, you know, one after the next, because all I hear are the phrases. Mm -hmm. I don't hear the whole sentence. I don't know the whole paragraph. I don't know the whole instruction. My job is to give voice to the individual phrase. Mm -hmm. And then the next one's already starting to come through as I'm finishing the first. I don't often really know what the entirety of the teaching has been until I see the transcript. And then I go, wow, this all makes sense. You know, it's been that way since the very first one that I typed up, you know, 12, 13 years ago when I first started recording. And I hadn't wanted to record because I don't like to hear myself channel still. It's awkward. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. So you've said that your guides have said that we are at a time of reckoning and we're facing ourselves. How do we do that? What is the reckoning and what do we do about it? Um, You know, one of the lines from the book is, a new is being born now through the collective.
3: Yeah. That, That line that you quoted was from the very first book, I Am the Word. It was dictated in 2009. They said humanity is at a time of reckoning, and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And I believe that this is happening both at the level of the individual and the collective, because the two are finally the same. They're they're intertwined. Um, What it means is that everything that's been claimed and created in fear is going to be seen. You know, the things that have been buried in the backyard are going to come up to be seen, not to make them wrong, not to blame, but to see them, because nothing gets transformed until it's seen or brought to the light. The guides have said, if you've got a dead body buried in the basement, eventually it's going to stink up the whole house. And they've said again and again and again that our only real challenge as a species, as a humanity is what they call the denial of the divine, how we deny the divine in ourselves and in others. And all of that is the reckoning, how we do that, who we fear, who we damn, what we damn. The guides say again and again and again, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's the height of hypocrisy, and it's the problem with many current, you know, religious institutions. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. They say, what you damn, damns you back. And that's a teaching of vibrational accord. They say, you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil, which means you've aligned him at that level of judgment or darkness or fear. And put yourself there right next to him. But they also say, what you bless, blesses you in return. And they say, the blessing is the realization of the presence of the divine upon the thing or the person, you know, because then you're not denying God. You know, the evidence may be to deny and to punish and to do all those things, but all we get is more of the same when we do that. So in some ways, it's a very simple teaching, but it's challenging as hell, you know, because...
2: because yeah, we're know, human.
3: Well, yeah, we're human, but they say, you know, self-righteousness is always the small self. You know, and they said it in one of the books, they say, you know, you keep building bigger bombs in the belief that that's going to keep you safe, which is the most ridiculous thing they'd ever heard, but they say they're meant to go off eventually they will unless you stop this, you know, I mean it's a we're, we're living in a fool's paradise right now, you know, we really are in a lot of ways. And what the guides say is that we are in vibrational accord to everything that we see and experience. It doesn't mean we created it individually, but it does mean it's if it's in our reality, the consciousness that we have is contributing to its structure. How we hold anything in consciousness reinforces that structure. Who's the doctor with who did the experiments with water? You probably know. And
2: oh. Who, I do, but I can't remember the name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's
3: the same thing. So Uh you want to put your putrid thoughts in the water. It's going to get more putrid. And actually,
2: one of my listeners just posted yesterday. So interesting that you're saying this again today. She did it um, with rice. Uh She did um, two white rice in two separate jars. And one she spoke to negatively and one Mm -hmm. she spoke to positively and the mm-hmm. one she spoke to negatively started growing mold, yeah. which was much easier to see than, than water. Yeah, that,
3: make, that makes sense to me. But I think it's the same premise, you know, as what you damn dams your back. It's teachings of vibrational accord. So how we see the world, how we see our neighbor, how we choose to Claim who's worthy of god or unworthy of you know all that stuff we get right back in our own laps in our own experience you know and we have the opportunity to change and i think this is according to the guys this is a time of enormous opportunity if we're willing to look at it that way
2: right but how do we look at it i mean it feels like the more fear the the Deeper people have dug their heels into that fear, that there's like a a fear of even releasing the fear.
3: Yeah, well, the uh, the guides I work with have said again and again and again, the action of fear is to claim more fear. And every choice you make in fear is going to get you more of the same. Mm -hmm. So that's just fear having its way. The interesting thing they say about fear is fear isn't very intelligent. They say it it doesn't transcend itself, it can't. They also say fear is of God because all things are of God. Fear just doesn't know it and doesn't want to agree to it. So in some ways the idea of reconciling ourselves means that we need to allow the fear in order for it to be reseen. You know, nothing gets changed until it's seen. So I actually think I love that, that yes,
2: line as a therapist. Nothing gets changed until it's seen. Yeah.
3: That's how I that's how I understand it.
2: So when we, when we talk about, um, you know, you say you don't become the divine self, the divine self becomes you. Yeah. And it sounds like in reading the kingdom, these teachers are here <gasps> to manifest the divine in form. So what exactly does that look like?
3: Well, they talk about it as re-articulation. They say everything in form is an articulation or a manifestation of source. Mm -hmm. To be re-articulated is to be re-known. The guides say to be known is to be realized. And so it's a teaching of realization. They say that we've excluded the body from this through most of our old indoctrination. They say you've been told to believe that if there's a God, it's up there in the clouds and we're stuck here in the mud. And the gods say, well, the mud is also God. Mm-hmm. It's just everything is God operating at a different level of tone. You know, it's the one source that is all things in manifestation. So what does it look like? It looks like, I mean, I don't know, I'm not there yet. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be there, but I understand what they teach. And they talk about uh, their, their claims that they make, and the claims are attunements. And one of them is, I know who I am. That's spoken by the true self or as the true self. The true self knows who it is. Paul, at a personality level, doesn't. I'm 50, mm-hmm. I need to lose weight, I lost my hair, I get cranky. That's Paul, That's my Paul. But the true self that operates... Currently and concurrently knows who it is beyond age, beyond form, beyond all those things. I know what I am means in manifestation. I know what I am in truth. I am the manifestation of this source energy. And I know how I serve in truth. And the guides say how anyone serves is how they're most fully expressed as the true self. And that's the basis of the teaching. You know, if you really look at this, it's the realization of this manifestation in expression. The the quote that you gave, which is a good, it's an interesting one. Um, you don't become the Christ; the Christ becomes you. They, the first time they said that was in a workshop in Santa Fe, one of the very very first few workshops I ever did after the first book came out. And there was a guy a guy out there saying, well, I'm the Christ and I know, who, you know, and the guides shut him up and they said, listen, you, you know, you don't become the Christ. The Christ becomes you. You become the expression of the divine. This is not a deification of the ego. And a lot of people that run around, I mean, most people that I encountered who run around touting themselves as realized or are, are operating, you know, with ego. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. And I'm, I'm not without ego. I'm not making myself special there. But I think they're working with us to sort of move beyond that need to glamorize any of this stuff and or make it special. It's not special. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the guides say nobody is more worthy than the next. Nobody is less than. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. They say, you assume that, you know, the rich man is having the higher experience than the, than the, than the beggar. They say, so there are just two different ways of, of having experience of reality. And there are things to be learned through both. And I've been as poor as anybody at times in my life. So I understand that and what I learned through it. So I, you know, I, I think that we're the ones who are comparing and and even in spiritual stuff, it's just not, there's no real place for it here. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's showing up as best they can, you know, in the fear, in the mess. And the guides are teaching us or offering us a way, if we want it, to move beyond some of this stuff to a different equation. And when they talk about equations, they're speaking really of co-resonance, what you're in accord to. When you lift to the higher, you move into an accord with a higher reality. It's that simple.
2: So is the being with the teaching the transformation? Or is there is there stuff to do from the teaching? Both, I
3: think both are true. We're accountable to how we hold anybody in anything. We're accountable to our choices. If I want to go be frightened, I can do it. And I do it often and maybe I'll learn through it and maybe I'll learn that it's not going to get me what I want. That it's an old rotten habit. If I want to judge somebody, I can do that. It may make me feel better than for five minutes. But the cost of that really is, you know, the separation that it incurs. Because if I, you know, it's what the guide said, who you put in darkness or what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. It's again, you align at that level. You know, if I want to say, look at those terrible people, I'm aligning at the level of terrible, you know. If I'm able to, which is the challenge. Yeah,
2: that's it what would I was save
3: them from a higher level, to see the God within them anyway. I'm an old 12-stepper, you know, and I used to hear, look for the good of the God in everyone. And it's a very simple, simple, simple teaching and a really high one. Look for the good of the God in everybody.
2: Well, I was we were talking, I was talking about this the other night at a presentation I gave we were talking about why the 12 step process has to be relegated to an addiction model because if we all sort of lived that 12 step process we might live quite differently
3: well i i maybe i'm not sure what you were saying yeah we would have to live quite quite differently but what all the 12 steps are is offering you don't need to be an addict to to work the 12 steps, I don't think. What you no, don't
2: but a lot of people that. do think that yeah. that's, that's that's sort of the place for well,
3: that's it. That's where they were developed, you know, in that community. And and I, I believe it's still highly valuable. But the tenets of that can be found in new thought, um, you know, that predate the 12 steps and the Oxford group, which preceded, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I mean, there's this stuff has been around in different ways. These aren't new teachings. I think applying those teachings to addiction has been highly useful, you know, to to a portion of the population that benefits. Is it the only way? I don't necessarily, I don't know, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know that the simplicity of some of that, which is, you know, I can't, God can, whatever God is to you, and I think I'll let God do it which is surrender or allowance or getting out of the driver's seat long enough to allow grace to come through is useful and helpful. And I got to say works, Mm -hmm. works. That's, you know, I wouldn't do it if it didn't work.
2: How would you say you're integrating all the messages that you receive? I guess, how do you live that life? You know, how do you, how do you live the teachings?
3: It's a good question. I don't know how to answer it. Um, I do my best Mm -hmm. not to bring pain to the world. Mm. I do tell the truth. It's too uncomfortable not to. The guides I work with say there's not a lie that's ever been told that wasn't told in fear. And I believe that, including white lies. And I really do do my best not to make choices in fear. And I acknowledge that I'm still learning. So those are all things that are are very present. I'm beginning to live a life that I didn't think was possible. I really didn't. And it's better than I would have chosen for myself. But I didn't know that it was an option to choose. And I think that this is a result of, of, of this work. And learning a bit more to allow than to demand. Um, It's not that there are areas in my life that I'm not frustrated with because there are. And these are still the areas where there's work to be done or things to be understood in a higher way because my tenacity to try to fix these things isn't necessarily working as I would have them. Mm -hmm. But when I look back at some of my other problems that I thought would never go away, that aren't there anymore, I'm somewhat astounded. You know, because, I mean, sometimes you think, well, it's always going to be this way. I'm always going to have this fear or this worry or this shame or this problem. And then one day you realize you just don't have it anymore. It's not hanging out. Mm -hmm. The button's not there. Even if he gets pushed, it's kind of like, what? This is amazing. So I've had enough of that to give me a kind of peace Um, And I don't believe that I've arrived, but I do believe that if I can stay in the day as best I can and not worry about the future and not beat myself up about yesterday, I can have a a, a real experience of of what the guides are teaching. Mm.
2: Would you say that the biggest message, if there was one message for the masses that comes through, is that around fear or is there other messages that you feel like are powerful
3: there's a lot of them and a lot of them are very simple the action of fear is to claim more fear mm. who you put in darkness calls you to the darkness what you damn damns you back what you bless blesses you um
2: i'm going to be blessing a lot of things after this uh yeah. call and today
3: they say, and they say the true self knows and the small self which is the personality structure which is fine thinks and they, you know, and they say every time you've really known something, really known it, you have not been afraid, because the <laughs> true self doesn't abide in fear. And I found that to be true, even really crappy news.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Not that moment that's frightening; it's what's going to happen next, which is where people get frightened again. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. that the marriage is over; it's oh my god, am I always going to be alone, or who's going to get the house, or all those things. Do you
2: understand? Yes, yes, that is. This is so profound. If if someone is listening to the work in while they're sleeping, or you know, popping in earbuds before they go to sleep, is that vibration transformative?
3: Yeah, I mean, I've I've had I've heard stories from people who've woken up in the middle of the night with their whole body buzzing, and they fell asleep with with a book on, um, you know, and people have talked about medical things happening while in those states as well that were positive to their healing. But, you know, I think people have their own experience with this stuff. And I'm not going to dictate what that should be. People have to find out for themselves. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. So any parting words today from you, the guides, whomever, anything?
3: No, I mean, I think we we, we really do have to learn to live the lives that we've been given Mm -hmm. and claim the benefit of them, the real benefit that's already here. But, you know, the guides say unless, you know, sometimes I'll do readings and I like food. So I get a lot of restaurant imagery and food imagery in my readings. But once in a while, I'll see somebody, I'll see this all you can eat buffet lit up in a dark space, you know, with everything you could want. And there's usually somebody standing off in the shadows, holding their plate, not realizing that they're being invited to go serve themselves. They're waiting for the permission to have what they want. And, you know, the guides say it's, you know, the true self knows, so the true self knows what it requires. If we start allowing that, maybe we'll find ourselves having a better experience than we thought we were allowed to. So I'll leave it at
1: that.
2: Okay. Well, Paul, thank you so much. I'm glad we finally were able to make this happen. If people are interested in learning more about you, your work, where can they find you? I hope that you'll come back when the new book is out, whatever that is, and we can talk about that as well.
3: Well, my website is my name. It's Paul Selig, P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G dot com. There's a calendar of events. I'm doing live streams and a live stream intensive every month. Most Wednesday nights, I'm doing a public channeling and um, I'm doing live events again. So there are retreats coming up in Maui, on Costa Rica, in Boone, North Carolina, and the Omega Institute in New York. So there's there's stuff to go to if people wanna go someplace. That's about it.
2: Great, well, thank you so much for your time today, Paul, and, for, and thank you to the guides for their messages and wisdom that they're bringing to humanity, because I believe we need it I don't know now more than ever, but certainly now more than ever in my lifetime. So thank you.
3: Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. You
2: like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.